You're listening to the Technology for Mindfulness podcast, episode 57, hosted by me, Robert Plotkin. Today I'm going to be speaking with Teodora Pavkovich, a psychotherapist and parenting coach who focuses on digital wellness. Teodora has given a TEDx talk on her unique approach, which is grounded in emotional intelligence, positive psychology, and mindfulness practices. You can find out more about Teodora at teopcoaching.com. That's T-E-O-P coaching.com. I'm extremely pleased to welcome Teodora Pavkovich to the Technology for Mindfulness podcast. In the upcoming interview that you're about to hear with Teodora Pavkovich, you'll hear her talk a lot about her findings about how technology has impacted the relationship between parents and their children. I think it'd be interesting for today's tip to experiment with paying attention to how technology impacts your own interactions with other people, whoever they may be in your life. And may I suggest two different ways to do that? One, which I think is the easier one for most of us, is to notice how other people's use of technology impacts your interactions with them. Maybe you're with a friend. They turn to their phone while you're with them to read a message or to look something up. How does that impact your interaction with them? How do you feel about it? And you may want to pay attention to how do different types of use of technology affect your interactions with people. Some of them you might feel really positively about. Others you might not feel so positively about. The second suggestion I have is the more challenging one, I think, for most of us, which is to try to start paying attention to how our own use of technology impacts our face-to-face interactions with other people, whether that's positive or negative. Why is that more challenging? I think it's just harder to draw our attention to our own habitual actions, things that we do automatically. When we're doing them automatically, it can be harder to just become aware of them. So you might want to spend a day or an hour or even 20 minutes where you are drawing your attention consciously to ways in which you use technology when you're face-to-face with other people. When you can't think of something, do you pull out your phone to look it up on Google? When you are talking face-to-face with someone or sitting down with them at a meal or in a meeting and your phone beeps at you with a notification, do you pick it up to turn to your phone? And if so, how do you feel about that? How does it impact the interaction you're having with that other person with you. Maybe you feel good about it. Maybe you're able to find that information and bring it into the conversation and it enhances your interaction. Maybe it doesn't. And again, maybe there's different types of ways in which you use technology that you have different feelings about. And do you notice anything about how the other person in that interaction feels when you use technology. I think this is a really rich area to explore and pay attention to, particularly because we all tend to be so automatic in how we use technology. This is a great opportunity to draw some conscious attention to the impacts. So I hope you find that helpful, and I think you're really going to enjoy the upcoming interview with Teodora Pavkovich. 
Hi, Teodora, and welcome to the Technology for Mindfulness podcast. Hi, Robert. Thank you so much for inviting me here. I'm really glad to, to speak to you about some of these topics to do with tech and with mindfulness and with parenting as well. Yeah, I think a lot of our listeners who are parents or who are teachers or who work with children in today's digital age will be really uh, interested in hearing about your work and your suggestions for them. Maybe you could start out by just telling people a little bit about what the work is that you do. Sure. So my background's in psychology. I have a master's degree in clinical psychology. And what I do is psychotherapy and parent coaching as well. And I do that on a kind of one-on-one basis. So I see one-on-one clients in my private practice that's based in New York City. But then I also do a lot of group work as well. And so that involves doing workshops and trainings on a lot of these topics to do with parenting in the age of technology and digital wellness as well. And I do these mostly in New York City. Um, I am a little bit kind of between New York City and Singapore at the moment. So I do a little bit of my work in Singapore too. Um, but I basically go into different workplaces. I go into schools as well, parent groups, and I kind of educate people. I train them to think about some of these aspects of the kind of psycho-emotional impact that technology has on us as individuals, but that it has on parents and children, and especially how technology has kind of changed and, and impacted the parent-child relationship. So aside from that, I, I also deliver a lot of talks. I'm invited to a lot of panel discussions as an expert on this topic as well. So so I do I do a lot of different work. I like to kind of keep my work very dynamic, but the core of everything really is digital wellness, parenting in the age of technology, and then my approach is really grounded in positive psychology and, and emotional intelligence as well. I did a, a TEDx talk on that topic in, in Singapore last year. So everything that I do really is infused with emotional intelligence and positive psychology as well. So given that you've worked with so many parents and children over the years, I wonder, is there some common theme or particularly common challenge that you find many parents and children face in connection with technology use, you know, that, that you deal with frequently? It's quite a complex uh, question, actually, because there are there are a lot of similarities. They just exist kind of on a, on a lot of different planes. There's a lot of different aspects of this whole topic of of tech. I think kind of one of the the main issues is, and it's something that's that's not new to this generation, but there there has for the past say 50, 60, 70 years, always been that kind of generational divide where you do tend to find that the younger generations are a lot more in the know when it comes to whatever the kind of latest technological advancements are. And I think that's that's part of what always causes the, the problem. So I know that in in my case, when I was a young teenager was when I first started using the the internet, the good old dial-up internet connection mm-hmm. that we all so loved and cherished. You know, for my parents, that was that was science fiction. Um, they were really excited to, to, to get me a computer, but they had no understanding of what in the world went on in there. So I think the same is, is to an extent true of, of today's parents. They, they're aware of the fact that their kids just know so much more about this tech and it's so much more intuitive for them than it is for, for the, the parent generation. So I think that's why one of the problems. Um, I think another problem is the fact that technology has, or modern technology, you know, the, the the kind of smart devices that we're using right now, they've kind of crept in very subtly, but very quickly. And we're kind of 
trying to play catch up at, at this point. So they're, they're really, they've infiltrated our lives. Um, they, they take up pretty much every aspect of our lives right now. But we haven't had enough time to, to, to think about the role that this tech plays and, and how it's impacting us in physical ways and psychological ways and emotional ways. And again, within that dynamic of, of parenting, we really are, are just trying to kind of play catch up. We're trying to observe families and kind of look at, okay, what, what are some of the effects that tech is maybe having? So I think it all happened very, very quickly. As with any new shiny objects, we humans are immediately drawn to them. And so the, the uptake obviously has been very, very fast. We're just trying to figure out now what is the, the impact that, that this uptake is, is having on us. And I think that's a struggle that all humans are experiencing all, all across the world. There's just, I think, certain differences in terms of kind of the, the levels of awareness that we have. Yeah, and I, you mentioned that children today, and as you said, it's been true for a long time in the age of rapid technological change, that children know more about how to use technology than their parents. But, you know, we spoke previously about how there is other knowledge that parents have. Uh, and, and I want to, you know, maybe, maybe it's worth reminding parents about what that is and, and how they can bring it to the raising of their children, even if they don't know how to use the technology per se. And I'm putting quotes that no one can see around some of these words, <laughs> you know, that they may not quote know how to quote use the technology as well as their children do, but they have a lot of other knowledge that's still valuable. Yes. And I think it's more than even knowledge. I think it's, I don't even know what you'd call that. In, in, in some ways, it's maybe a, a wisdom, that kind of in, inbuilt wisdom that you automatically start developing once you, once you become a parent. It's because you, you obviously you care for them so much and you're responsible for them. You're really in charge of their well-being from the moment that, um, that they're born up until, I mean, in, in some ways it never really ends. So, so I feel like it's, it's that wisdom and that love and that care that gives parents the, I mean, maybe the right, definitely the right, but the ability to still be able to exert you know, some pressure on their kids and to set up boundaries around things, regardless of the fact that the kids, I think it took them maybe a couple of weeks after Apple released some of their, you know, their screen time controls, their parenting controls. I think within a couple of weeks, some eight or nine-year-olds figured out how to hack the system. So, you know, the fact that kids have advanced knowledge on these things is, you know, we, we can't dispute that for sure. But as parent, you are in, in charge of your child, whether they're two months old or two years old, or, you know, whether they're 15 or 16. And of course, you have all of that kind of the wisdom and knowledge of just being alive much longer than they are. And so that gives you that right to really come in and say, you know, I totally get that you could run circles around me when it comes to some of this tech. Um, but that doesn't change the fact that I'm still the person who is meant to, you know, through a kind of collaborative effort, but who's meant to help you kind of put a fence around some of these behaviors and some of these habits. Um, and one of the reasons why parents really need to help kids do this is that, you know, we know from, from a lot of neuroscience research, brain development research, that our frontal lobes, the, the front part of our brain, that's the most advanced part of any mammal's brain in the world, it doesn't really finish developing until between the ages of about 25 to kind of 27 or 28. And that's really the part of our brain that 
you know, inhibits certain behaviors, that controls, that problem solves, that makes sure that you have, you know, one candy bar and not 20. So for, you know, say eight or nine or 10, even 15 year olds to expect them to really have that full ability to control their their habits around anything, not, you know, not just tech, it, it's a stretch. It's just, it's simply not possible. There are individual differences, of course, and you will have kids who, who are better at that than others. But for the most part, part of the parent's role really is to be that frontal lobe or the frontal lobes, um, since there's two for their kids and to really step into that space and, and not have kind of the fear that I tend to see a lot of parents having. And to say, you know, we we can do it through collaboration, but this is a conversation that has to be had. And it's a continuous conversation that needs to be had around what are some of the the habits and the, the, the behaviors around how you're using technology and how you're organizing your day when it comes to your tech use. I think it's really a valuable message to send to parents who may have a feeling of hopelessness, particularly if that is based on their belief, which may be very accurate, that their children know how to use the technology more adeptly than they do. And what you're saying is, even if that's true, it doesn't mean that as a parent, there there isn't a really valuable and critical role for you to play in helping teach and guide your children and how to make choices about how to use the technology, which is totally separate skill and and function and role than how to, you know, uh, play a game or use Facebook. Oh yeah, absolutely, absolutely. It's it's it. There's definitely a difference there between, and I'm kind of I'm glad that we're we're emphasizing it here during our interview because I don't hear it talked about that much that that aspect of it, um, because I think that is part of what what causes a lot of kind of anxiety for parents is the fact that not all of them, but you know many of them don't know how to use the tech on the level that their kids know how to use it too. But yeah, it's it's really important to have that conversation. It's really important also, um, and there was an article recently on. NPR that talked about this, the difference between mentoring and monitoring. Um, and I think that's that's another kind of distinction that that needs to be made and something else for parents to kind of think about. It's very easy to, again, tech makes this very easy. It's very easy for us to slip into monitoring children, kind of in some cases, almost practically spying on them. Uh, because again, there, there are lots of different uh, ways you can do that through through your tech. And, you know, it starts when you when you have a baby, you have all these little cameras and things that you can tap into through your iPhone, no matter where you are in the world, you can see your baby sleeping in its crib, regardless of where you are. So it kind of, it's, it starts from there and then it keeps going as, as kids get older. And I see that question asked on parenting forums all the time, you know, should I monitor my kids in secret, you know, without without telling them or not. Um, and, you know, again, uh, opinions differ when it comes to that. But I think really the most important thing is to mentor children. So to really have an ongoing discussion with them about technology. I, th- I think it's very important for parents to know at least a little bit of the science behind it. Because again, you know, one of the things that, that you and I spoke about earlier is the fact that none of this has happened by accident. It maybe wasn't fully kind of foreseen by the people who created this tech, but there is something called persuasive design, which virtually every single piece of tech platform, app, whatever it is, uses. And so that's the reason behind all this behavior that we're seeing in all of us, in our children and in ourselves. So it's really important to have those conversations with children to make sure that they understand a lot of the different elements of the tech that they're using, and then not only to mentor them in that way, but then to also model 
to them, you know, healthier tech behavior. And that's something that parents can find really challenging to do because, of course, it's always a lot easier to look at the other person and say, no, no, the problem's with you. We need to fix you. It's a lot harder to look at ourselves and and say, hang on, how am I using my tech? Especially when my child is around, you know, how often does my child see me on my phone or on the tablet? Or, you know, how many times does my child say, mom, dad, mom, dad, and it goes kind of left unanswered because I was sending a text or I was checking Instagram or I was trying to order the groceries or, you know, whatever, whatever it might be. So the mentoring and the the modeling are really important components and they're huge responsibilities that, that the parent has. And those things can, I think, really help and again, empower the parent to really enter that space of their child's tech use, to not be afraid of going in there, having an open discussion, and really, like I said, kind of building fences around some of these behaviors and, and making sure that that some of these boundaries are enforced. And what we know from a lot of the polls that are done with kids is that kids really want that. They actually want, whether it's their parents or their schools, you know, whoever it is, to place uh, boundaries so that they know when kind of tech use finishes and, and when it ends. Yeah, I just want to emphasize for people listening who may be having that feeling of helplessness or hopelessness that because they don't know how to use the technology, they may uh, not be able to fully engage with their children around it. And, you know, what you're saying, and I hope people uh, reach out to you, is that there's so many life skills that parents have that are generally applicable to raising their kids about making healthy, conscious decisions about what activities to engage in and when, and moderation versus excess, and and all of these things that every adult knows about from their own life experience that they can help guide their kids through. Now, the question that raises for me, I mean, it raises many, and this one is is not is probably one we could spend a whole hour talking about. But you know, when you talk about mentoring versus monitoring, and maybe we think about it as collaboration versus control. You know, I wonder if you could, at a, at a really high level, to talk to parents about the, the challenge of shifting gears in, in those ways, let's say from how you might interact with a child in infancy when, look, you're going to make the decisions for your infant. You're not going to work collaboratively with them. But by the time they're moving towards adulthood, you're, you're, you're going to be working in a, could you, maybe, I don't know if you would, as a psychologist, break this up into three stages, four stages, but maybe you could just that general question for parents of how to navigate that uh, border and, and changing boundary between exercising more control on behalf of your child and being more collaborative and sort of teaching them how to fish and be an adult on their own as they get older. It's definitely a challenging one to to split up into stages, especially when children are very little. They they change drastically with every kind of three to four month period or even even less than that. But like you said, when when children are younger, it's a lot easier to obviously place those those rest- restrictions on them, especially before they learn how to talk back and kind of yelling and complain about things and before they learn to walk so that they can't just kind of walk away from you and things like that. So then that's where those first kind of two, three, you know, even four years of a child's life are are really important when it comes to setting boundaries and, and boundaries are really important for them from the get-go. Um, they're limited to things like sleeping and eating when they're very little, but they expand into other areas as as kids get older. And when it comes to kind of tech use in particular, and, and something that I've I've shared with you before as well, my view is that before the age of about say three 
maybe even four, really the only kind of device that a child needs in order to develop in a healthy kind of way is the parent. Or, or both parents, if it has, if it has both parents, or you know, some some form of a guardian, whoever it is, but a a, a caring, attentive, affectionate, um, who's going to make sure that the child feels safe and and cared for. There's no form of of tech that can replace that in any way when a child is is that little. It really needs a lot of just straight human to human interaction. So, for parents who, um, and I know there are a lot of parents out there who are unsure as to, you know, the, the parent's fear is always, am I withholding something helpful from my child? That's always, the, you know, the main thing. Am I not providing them with something that they really, really need? And so, like I said, when children are very young, they don't need tech. There are plenty of parents, obviously, who will use tech here and there for behavioral management, distraction purposes. You know, they need five minutes to take a shower and things like that. And and those things are all, you know, they're they're perfectly fine. Another thing that you and I talked about also is the guilt and shame that a lot of par- parents unfortunately carry when it comes to this. So so I hope they know or or that they start to feel that they really don't need to have that guilt and that that shame that we're all kind of in the same boat, whether we are or aren't parents, um, we're all struggling with tech. So those little bits of, of tech are, are perfectly fine. And it's it's really a, a kind of a coping mechanism on the parents' part when they need that little bit of, of time to themselves. So so that's fine. But really placing those limits very early on is is going to make your job so much easier once your kids are older. You know, so if it's, you know, we're doing five minutes a day, it's five minutes a day. After that, even when kids are very little, it's helpful to always give them not more than two options usually. So, you know, sometimes you will see kids who will have a very strong reaction to the tech being taken away from them. You'll almost see kind of, um, you know, withdrawal symptoms. It's important to, to have a couple of options that you can offer them, that the things that they can engage in, that they really love to do, just to make that transition easier. Because some kids do struggle with that transitioning kind of from one activity to another one. But, you know, regardless of that, regardless of kind of acting out, they might scream, they might beg, whatever it is, it's really important for the parent to be able to kind of withstand that and really, really kind of stick to to the rules of that. So that goes a really long way when kids are smaller. It makes it a lot easier then once they get older, once they're seven, eight, nine, ten, to really navigate how they use technology. The rules within the home are it, of course, easiest to to kind of keep in place when they're at, you know, their friend's house or when they're in school, it's a little bit more difficult to control what they're doing. But I think, again, ongoing conversations at home and modeling to kids how to use tech will make sure that once you're not around and they're kind of out there in the world on their own, they'll be able to make more responsible decisions about how they use technology. But, you know, when it comes to the home, the rules there again, collaboratively made with children are, are perfectly okay to be very strict. So things like, you know, past a certain hour, none of us use technology. We all keep it in, say, one box somewhere in, in the house where no one's going to touch it, or we all charge our phones in exactly the same place. You know, no phones in, in the bedroom, which I know for, for grownups is also very difficult. And some of the recent um, common sense media polls have shown that a huge percentage of us do carry our phones or whatever personal devices with us into the bedroom. And I think according to their research, something like 60, around 60% of us wake up throughout the night to check our devices. So, you know, talking about sleep, that could be a whole other conversation as well. But it's, it's really important to place those, those restrictions and those boundaries within the home and to also then talk to kids about 
placing those boundaries for themselves when they're elsewhere. So say when they're having dinner with their friends, really talking to them about, okay, you know, do you notice that anyone in your group will check their phone while you're all sitting together having dinner? How does that make you feel? What do you think about that? Do you want to speak up about that? Can I help you kind of start a conversation about that with your friend and so on. So really, the, the I think the, the conversational bit is the most important one, even when kids are, are very, very young, when it comes to placing these these boundaries, the more that you can really include them in the decision making, um, the easier it will be for you to put some of those rules into place. And again, I think a lot of these research findings from, from a lot of these um, uh, studies that are done with children are really showing us that they really do want our help to set up boundaries. So I feel like that's a huge green light for all of us adults to really go in and really collaborate with, with kids and create those, uh, those limits when it comes to tech use. Yeah, that's really helpful to know because I think we can often get the feeling that kids don't want help, they don't want guidance, particularly as they get older, they may express an attitude that they know what's best for them. They, they don't. I mean, that's been true long before the current technology. Absolutely. Right? Of course. Yes. T- I mean, teenagers have, have always uh, been like that, of course. And that's, again, there's a neuroscientific explanation for that. It's due to the changes in their, in their brain chemistry, the changes in their bra- brain structure. They're starting to venture out more on their own. They're starting to become a little bit more kind of daring. They're a lot more curious. They want to explore and so on. So, of course, the worst thing you can do to a teenager is say, I want you to do this. And so I, I, you know, I never advocate for that because I, I think we all know that that never works. But if you come up to your teenager and you tell them, look, I have some concerns in general about how tech impacts all of us. What has your experience been with when it comes to that? What, you know, especially if they, if they already own a device of, you know, of their own, especially if they're on social media already, there's some wonderful conversations there to be had with them about what is what has their experience been with with tech use and if you ask them you know what are some of the ways in which you would want to change your own behaviors around tech what are some of the things that you want to do to help yourself you'll find them more than willing to talk to you about that because all you're doing really is you're just asking them questions you're kind of exploring what their experience is and that's another thing that teens love more than anything else in the world is really when you ask them for their own opinion and then that really kind of opens the door for you as the parent to say, you know, I can, I can tell that you're unhappy with some of, some of the aspects of, of tech use. I'm here for you. Tell me how I can help you. Let's come up with, with a way to deal with this together. And also kind of be open to taking on their tips in terms of managing your own tech use as well, because that's probably what teens love the most out of anything is if they can kind of boss their parents around a little bit. So <laughs> Well, this really leads us, you know, to the uh, broader question that I know you deal with very frequently and directly, which is how has technology impacted the relationship between the parent and child, right? We can talk about how do children use technology as if it's just their own issue, or how do parents use technology as if these are divorced from each other, but, uh, but of course they're not. Uh, and uh, just talk, talk a little bit about how you've seen technology actually changing the ways in which parents and children relate to each other. And it's, this is a relational issue. Yes, it happens within that kind of r- relational dynamic, which is what really interested me in this topic to begin with. I'm, I'm very interested in terms of how it affects us as individuals, but I think the, the much 
broader and deeper and more kind of urgent and pressing question is what does it do to the relationship and especially what what does it do to that parent-child relationship? And I think the biggest question there is, or the most important point in all of this is, is what does it do to our attention? Since I know a lot of your listeners are interested in technology, they may be familiar with this concept of the attention economy that we live in nowadays. So any form of tech that we're using is basically out to get our attention. That's kind of the most valuable commodity that, that any of us has right now. And pretty much every tech company is is out to get some of that um, as much as they, they possibly can. And that then leads to, into this concept of persuasive design, which is another concept that I always kind of want to make sure that I educate parents about because I think it's, it's just really important for them to know this for themselves, but to be able to teach their kids about that as well. And so we have this attention economy that's trying to draw our attention away. We have persuasive design that's doing an incredibly amazing job at doing that. And so when you think about the parent-child relationship, what you get there is distraction, whether it's on the part of the just the parents. So when a child is very little, when the child is, say, um, a baby, when when children are, are that little, they're really their their primary kind of focal point is is you as their you know their parent or their guardian so they're making a lot of eye contact all of their senses are focused on you that's why talking to children is so important physical touch is so important you know their sense of smell all these different things are developing and they're all focused on you now if you're focused on something else what does that do to a child? It's the equivalent of just full-on ignoring the child. I don't want to use the term being negligent because that has a very negative connotation to it. And a lot of the times means something much worse than than just simply kind of not hearing what your child is saying or just kind of ignoring them for a couple of minutes. But I think the extreme version of it is negligence. And unfortunately, we have seen in the news, not very frequently, luckily, but from time to time, we do hear of cases where children have gotten hurt or, or injured due to kind of tech-induced um, negligence on their guardian's part. It, it's not always the parent. It could be, you know, the the nanny or the grandparent, the aunt or uncle, whoever it is who's taking care of the child. So for me, that's kind of the most important thing is attention. Where Where is the parent's attention going if it's not going on the child? And how does the child feel when looking at um, the parent or trying to reach out to the parent or trying to speak to the parent. So really using any of those methodologies to reach out to the parent and to basically be greeted by a vacuum or, or an empty, empty space. And um, there's some great research going on in that area here in New York City, in particular at Hunter College. One of my uh, friends and colleagues does some research on this. And Diane Sawyer did a special maybe a month ago or something like that. Some of some of our listeners may have watched it, where she went into the lab to observe how some of this research is done. And, and basically what they do is they'll have a room, the child will be in there, a toddler will be in there with their parent. The ones that were shown in the um, in, in dance or special were mostly mother, mother and child. And the child will make attempts to either, you know, speak to the mom or show her something or uh, tell, you know, tell her about something, whatever it is. And the mom is instructed to just look at her phone. So just basically to ignore the child. And I'm sure that any parents who are listening to us, their heart breaks a little bit, just just imagining this this scenario. And when you watch it happen, it's, it's really painful to watch because you'll see that the child will never say mom once and just give up, 
right? Because that, that's not how we're built. You you keep persisting. You want to you want to make that attachment, and so you'll see these little kids who'll come up with all kinds of different ways to try and 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 get their parents' attention. They'll either keep repeating "mom, mom, mom, mom," or uh, one of the the boys in the study was trying to get mom to leave the room with him, and so he started taking steps towards the door, almost to say like "mom, look, this is what we're supposed to be doing. Why aren't you paying attention to me? Why aren't you doing?" what I'm telling you to do. So he kept moving towards the door, towards the door. He put his little hand on the handle. He kept saying, mommy, we have to go. We have to go. And it was, it was really, it was difficult to watch. And I obviously spend a lot of time just kind of outside of my work hours, just observing children and parents all, all around me. You know, unfortunately I do, I do see that happening. Not again, not very, very frequently. I don't, I don't think we're at that kind of alarm stage yet. Um, but I, I do see it happen a lot where children are trying to get their parents' attention and the parents are just full on ignoring them. So they're not saying, you know, just give me five minutes. I'm trying to send a text out. It is just completely ignoring them. So that distraction is what, what's really worrying in all of this in terms of how technology has disrupted the parent-child relationship. Um, ch- children can't develop in a healthy way when it comes to their emotional, social, and, and other forms of development unless they are, I, you know, I used the term attached before, there's a whole field in psychology known as attachment, where we we look at the quality of the attachment between the child and the parent. Um, unless that quality is is really good, a child can't develop properly. And so, for me, that's what's most worrying when it comes to our attachment to tech. It's it's really it's impossible to be attached to both tech and another human a live human who's in front of you at the same time. It, it, choices have to be made. And this is what makes this so, so difficult. And so when it comes to parents, especially of younger younger children, that's where I think that modeling is very important and that self-awareness of how are we using tech ourselves and to really try and notice over, say, the next 24-hour period, how often does it happen to you, if it does happen, that your child tries to reach out to you and connect with you, attach to you, and that attachment uh, attempt is is unsuccessful in the end because you are kind of attached to your own tech. Now, obviously, parents need to spend some portion of their time on technology, either because they do genuinely need to text somebody, they may need to email somebody, like I said before, order groceries, whatever it is. There's absolutely nothing wrong with that. What I always advocate for is include your children in that process so that, for example, if your child is trying to reach out to you and you're texting grandma, then say, you know, sorry, give me just five minutes. I need to text grandma um, about something or just give me a second. I'm ordering groceries for us. You run out of your favorite cereal and, you know, mom, your daddy, we need to get you, we need to get some more of that. I'll, I'll get back to you in a minute. Just, you know, give me one minute to do that. So what, whatever way you're using tech, that's totally fine. But that modeling uh, comes in there when you, when you really verbalize out loud to your children, this is what I'm doing right now. Um, I'll get back to you, you know, in, in 30 seconds or a minute or five minutes, whatever it is. You know, one thing that strikes me as so pernicious about technology in this way, because I was sitting here trying to think about, you know, pre-technology situations in which parents might be working on something while their kid is around. And many of them, though, don't absorb the parent's attention in the particular way that the smartphone does. Let's say that you're cooking a meal. You can still be present for the child in a way, or even include the child in some way, 
however simple it might be to set the table or get, go get an onion or whatever, whatever it is, the child, when they come to you, even if you're primarily focused on cooking the meal, when that child comes to you, you can provide your presence to them in a way that they feel seen. Whereas with the phone, what you're describing is the child turning to the parent and meeting a complete lack of presence there in a, in a very fundamentally different way. That, that's the important thing. Parents, obviously, especially in today's world, we're not living hundreds of thousands of years ago when we all lived in small tribes and, you know, there was a very clear division of rules and responsibilities and, you know, mothers spent all their time with their children and, you know, that was primarily what they did. We don't live in that world anymore. And so we, you know, we have to make the best of it that we can. And obviously parents have a lot of other responsibilities beside their, their children. Um, things like cooking or doing things around the house, or like I said, ordering groceries, whatever it is. Um, that's all fine. And that stuff still needs to be done. But the more that, like you said, with that example, the more that you can include children in that, the better, the better it is. And, and I have one example from, from my own personal life of where tech was very much a, a part of my life, but it, but it didn't mean that I was kind of just left to the tech alone while my parents were doing something else. So when I was very little, one of mine and my mom's favorite things to do, and I was very little, so I was about two years old or something like that. The Wizard of Oz was my favorite movie. And so she would put it on the television just about every day. Um, I think I knew it off by heart at, at that point, even though I was only about two or three years old. And she would be in the kitchen preparing uh, breakfast, lunch, dinner, whatever, you know, it may it may have been, I would be in the kitchen with her. So I wouldn't be actually watching the TV. I would be listening to the story. So almost like a like an audiobook uh, version of Wizard of Oz. And I would be spending that whole time with her in the kitchen. And we'd be pretend acting out the different things that we were hearing the characters say. And we'd be talking to each other. And I would be pretending I was Dorothy walking around the pigsty. And then I would fall down and she would pick me up. And, you know, all these, all these different things. So, so that, I think, is a really nice example of you know, mom is primarily engaged in something else. So she's she's cooking or cleaning the kitchen, whatever it is. There is tech involved, but the connection between the child and the parent is not severed. It's it's actually strengthened within the context of all those different activities that, that are going on. So there are lots of ways to keep technology a part of our life, but just to make sure that it's not at the cost of that parent-child uh, connection. Yeah, that's that's really, really great because it is true, right? We can't, uh, most of us give up technology. We have to use it and it has a lot of benefits. So, Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yes. yeah I re really appreciate that example of how to, let's call it, integrate technology in a, in a thoughtful, supportive way. You know, I wonder if you can uh, tell people, you've given people a lot to, to chew on and I hope given people some, some hope and even some practical tools that they can use. How can people reach out to you and find out more about you and what you do? Because I know, as you said, you do one-on-one uh, -on -one counseling, you do workshops, you do speaking. You know, where can people find out more and get in touch with you? So speaking of technology, I do do some bit of social media. I don't enjoy a lot of it, but I do have somewhat of, of a presence. So I'm both on um, on Facebook and Twitter where people will be able to find me. I'm on LinkedIn as well. If you know some people have a, a preference to contact people through through um, 
through LinkedIn as well. My website is topcoaching.com. So we'll, we'll make sure to put all of that information up for our listeners so that, so that they can connect with me. And then my, uh, my email is teodora.pavkovic at gmail.com. Um, that's the easiest way really to, to get in touch with me, to ask about any any of the things that we talked about today. I know, again, we, we shared a whole lot of, of information. So hopefully that will kind of get people thinking about, you know, wanting some more information about, you know, all kinds of different aspects of, of tech use. So, so I would definitely encourage them to, to reach out and, and get in touch with me. There are a bunch of other, other things that I'm working on right now that they might be interested in. Um, I'm developing some parenting workshops with a, a colleague who does a lot of mindfulness work for, um, for mothers. So that might be of interest to them. I'm also working on a program that combines mindfulness, positive psychology and art at a few of uh, New York's museums, um, which is really a, a kind of a self-care and a, and a wellness program. So something that I'm working on as well, they might be interested in that. But really, whatever whatever it might be, if it's just a, a simple question or they're interested in working with me, I'd really encourage everyone to, to get in touch because there's a lot more information about all of these different things that we've talked about. Well, this is great. Thanks. Thanks so much. Thanks for sharing your email address with people. I, of course, I ask that people use that mindfully. <laughs> to... <laughs> yes, yes, of course. I, I, will, I will trust that they will use it in a mindful, intentional, purposeful kind great. of a way. Well, th- thanks so much, Theodore, <laughs> for being on the podcast. I, I really enjoyed speaking with you. I feel like this is just the tip of the iceberg. So we'll have to have you uh, back another time to talk more about. Oh, yes, absolutely. Yeah, great. Thank you. Have a great Absolutely. One. Thank you, Robert. Bye. Thanks, Robert. Thank you. Thanks for joining us for this Technology for Mindfulness podcast with me, Robert Plotkin, and today's guest, Theodora Pavkovich psychotherapist and parenting coach who focuses on digital wellness. You can find out more about Teodora, her talks and workshops and other work at teopcoaching.com. That's T-E-O-P coaching.com. If you liked today's episode, please subscribe, rate and review and share the episode with your friends. And don't forget to also check out our blog at technologyformindfulness.com for information and tips about science, technology and mindfulness. And find out about our Tap Into Mindfulness course for helping you to take control of your smartphone at tapintomindfulness.com. I'm Robert Plotkin, and I'll join you next time on the Technology for Mindfulness podcast with clinical psychologist and leading mindfulness expert, Dr. Richard Chambers.